Welcome. That was to you guys, not to oh. the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it was so tense. It was so <laughs> ominous. You like welcome. I wanted to throw a brick to break the silence or throw yeah. a glass to break oh, the silence. Oh. Um, yeah. I thought I thought you were just trying to really like set the mood, like welcome. I, just, to this show. I, thought we I thought we discussed that you were going to do the clicker sound before you started the show. Oh God, we're, no. You, we did didn't. You, do you want to try it? That's not in my contract. You you you, you tried first. <laughs> you tried first, Daniel, and uh, and then we'll see you had sounds. I'll try it later. I need practice. I need a little bit of practice. Uh, now we can welcome the audience. Welcome, audience, to Survive and Endure, a Last of Us companion. Uh, this is a project that we've been working on a little bit uh, of time um, here at The Slice. It's myself. Uh, you may recognize me from The Slice podcast. Uh, we usually work together, myself, Shane, and Gabby, but a little bit of a different group here that's going to be talking about The Last of Us for the next six weeks. Um, so I will throw it over to them since you're probably a little bit more familiar with me. So Daniel, if you want to introduce yourself, a little bit of your background, um, and then we can we can dive into things. Yeah, so I'm also Daniel. I'm the Daniel of the movie podcast. Uh, you, If you are a fan of the movie podcast, thank you. Um, and from this time with, obviously, on YouTube and for our show. Um, yeah, I'm one of the hosts of the movie podcast along with Shay, uh, who's here with us as well. And this is, uh, we're secretly, I guess, invading this Last of Us show. Uh, but thankful to be here. Yeah, well, glad to have you. We're gonna, how are we going to refer to each other? Are we going to go Slice Dan, Movie Dan? Or do you <laughs> Baps, Ortega? You can call me Baps is good. Baps is more than okay. Okay, cool. Let's yeah, do that because I don't, don't want to formalize the, this. You, know, you, have the, you have the mantle of Daniel on your show, so I'm just a guest here. So you but when I joined, when I joined your show, though, you I think Anthony referred to me as Dan One, so it felt really weird <laughs> that I came in as like a higher seed. You know, he's just it was uh, we were going by birth date, I think. <laughs> It's it's only because yeah okay that makes first, sense that checks out you're the first Daniel that Anthony knows. That's why is that is that true? No, I don't think it's true though. Man. That, that's <laughs> that no, he met me in his twenties. That would be very strange. <laughs> he went he went very long without ever meeting a Daniel. He was like, "Whoa, that's a that's an interesting name. Where are you from?" Daniel. Are there any Daniel in the Last of Us, the last of us universe? No, it sounds it sounds positive. it sounds like a, like there's, a Last of Us. There's a David like a that's close enough. David. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, David. Okay. Uh, okay. So Baps Ortega. Great. Now third person who's been contributing slowly to the show. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey guys. So I'm Shay. I'm also uh, one of the hosts of the movie podcast as well, which you can catch on Mondays uh, along with the slice as well. I've, I've been on a couple of slice episodes. So, uh, you know, big fan of big fan of your show and a big fan of this game that we're going to talk about. So I'm very excited. Excited to have both of you. Um, like I said, we've been working on this for for a little bit over a year, actually. Shay and I, we've been talking about this since we went uh, since we went away a couple of years ago, just kind of spitballing ideas about what we would mm-hmm. like to do with a Last of Us podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've just been carefully considering, you know, we want to treat the game with as much respect and and as much time that we can dedicate to it to really dive into the to the small things that we really love about this universe. So I'm glad that. Two people that are as passionate as yourselves about this game um, are joining for this conversation, and I'm looking forward to having uh, you know a great dialogue over the next couple uh, couple of weeks as we as we record and lead up to to The Last of Us Two. Definitely, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, I thought we'd start with some background. So um, 
we're not going to break into what the next couple of episodes are going to look like. You'll kind of feel that out as we as we establish ourselves over the next couple of weeks. Um, but we do want to cover some history and background since this is a uh, a very important franchise that has really grown over the course of the last decade um, from from being a relatively small and unknown game when Naughty Dog first announced it in 2011. Um, to being, you know, one of the biggest franchises for PlayStation. And, you know, in, in my opinion, probably the most anticipated game um, that we've that we've really seen for PlayStation uh, this generation. So um, what, I'd, what I'd love to be able to do first is, you know, talk about maybe our experience um, and our background with the game, and then we can jump into maybe the history of The Last of Us and, and talk a little bit more about, you know, what how it came to be and, and Naughty Dog's history with the game. Um, because I think we all have a little bit of a different history uh, with how we got started and how we got engaged in this universe. Um, and then some funny stories even between uh, the, the three of us <laughs> that have been ongoing for for uh, for a couple of years that include some some Cineplex employees and, and people. Oh, boy. <laughs> some other people as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll start. For me, um, huge Naughty Dog fan dating back to, you know, the Jack and Daxter series on PlayStation 2. Um, love Jack and Daxter. Jack and Daxter actually has a little bit of a tie to The Last of Us because um, Jack 4 was in its concept phases um, and Naughty Dog was actually deciding whether they would like to do a uh, Jack and Daxter sequel um, or, uh, you know, spin off into a new IP that ended up becoming The Last of Us. So, I, I resent The Last of Us a little bit just because we were that close to getting a new Jack game and then we've got this amazing new franchise, but you know, it would have been nice to have seen a Jack for or a, a Jack uh, and Daxter sequel or reboot or whatever it would have looked like. Maybe so, one day. One day, man. One I day. really, really hope so. I wish for it every year at E3 and it never comes to pass, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, I played it for PS3. Um Big Naughty Dog fan throughout uh, Uncharted. Played the first Uncharted when it came out. Second Uncharted, um, Uncharted Three, and then you know hearing about another project that they were working on that was you know not really tonally where any of the other Naughty Dog games had gone before. Um, just super exciting, you know, post-apocalyptic sci-fi, all that kind of stuff. All the stuff that I really enjoy, um, and not expecting really much out of it other than you know the unexpected. And then it turned out to be uh, one of my favorite games that I've ever played. It might, it might actually break uh, the, the top spot now. Um, all things considered, we'll see what part two has to do, but uh, part, part one is definitely one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and uh, fun fact, I actually have never played through the PS4 master of the game. So this is going to be my feet, my first playthrough. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've only played the PS3 version. So I know we sat down a couple of years ago and played it. Um, for a couple of hours when we were hanging yeah. out one day in the summertime. That's actually the save that I overwrote uh, when I started <laughs> this, uh, when I started this playthrough. Wow. Um, but yeah, I've never played through the PS3, uh, PS4 version. So I'm excited to play with, you know, the higher frame rate. I've read some really, really great stuff about the technical improvements that they made to the PS4 version. Um, but everything that I know about this and everything that I've experienced was PS3. And it was a little bit over five years ago. I think the last time I played was in 2015. So it's been a little while since I've actually um, played the game all the way through. Wow. I'm just, and I'm just yeah. thinking now, like I'm looking at my Instagram. I'm like, wow, that I remember, I remember that day so well. Cause I think that was the day we were going to go see Spider-Man homecoming and we were hanging out at your place. Um, waiting. It for was the... July 17th, 2017. Yeah. So yeah, there... so it literally <laughs> was that day. And 
I'm like, wow, like, and that's that's how far far long we've been waiting for part two to come out as well too, because it was announced I think in a PSX 2016. So it's like it's just crazy to think how how long this kind of it's just been lingering on our mind, and now this game is turning seven this year. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah, I think one thing that kind of separates two from one is you know just reading a little bit on the history of this game it, you know it, it got announced in 2011 it came out in 2013 so there wasn't a long lead time to to the release of it right um in the same way that that there is right now where you know we had even doubts that we were ever going to get another installment in the last of us universe because it felt very complete at the end of part one um so it's it's been an interesting journey to find out a if there was going to be a sequel b that there was a sequel and then c when the sequel was going to come out because we've seen it you know in some limited capacity for the last four years and Really, only this year have we started to see gameplay and story details. Literally today, we actually started to see some of the story unraveling in a, in a video series that PlayStation put out. So we don't know a lot about what the next step is going to be, um, despite the long lead time that we had between part one and part two that's that's releasing next month. So it's interesting. But Babs, what's your uh, what's your story? I I have my perception of what your story is, but I don't know what your actual story is. So I kind of want to hear where you're coming from with this, and then I can give my take in my take uh, on it yeah yeah because i i feel like my uh my my history with it kind of became mythic a little bit because it was like a, a running joke for us for so long uh but before we get to like to the joke part of it you know like like i think my love of naughty dog goes back you know like i was always around for jack and daxter but um my love of naughty dog really set in with uncharted 2 and that was the game that I was like, okay, I need to buy a PlayStation. Because when I remember seeing the demo of it at E3 and just being like, this is a movie, but I get to play this. And it was like the first time that I really started to see games in a different light. Because growing up as like a Nintendo kid, obviously like Nintendo's always kind of like games first. Is it fun? Things like that. But when you kind of broaden your horizons a little bit, you see what other studios are, like their potential is to create stuff and you have a company like naughty dog that I feel like really just pushed the envelope of what storytelling could look like in video games. So I remember getting my PlayStation three and literally the only games I ever played on it were the uncharted games. And I adored those. And I remember, uh, I think it was the video game awards when last of us was announced. I was like, Holy, this is, this looks really crazy. And then again, the following E3, seeing the demo and hearing the reactions of the crowd, like going crazy of what they're seeing, um, and like it just it just kind of became like this this game that really I think started like that wave of Sony being like that place to play those exclusives, and you know for me like I bought the game day one, I was hyped for it, bought it day one, played. I remember playing the prologue, and just literally just finishing the prologue which we'll talk about and immediately playing it the prologue again and i got my dad to watch with me and my dad was just like floored that this kind of storytelling and this kind of like graphics and everything just was possible and i remember continuing playing it and then for like because this game came out in 2013 that was also the year of um, our new console launches as well too and I had different things going on in my personal life at the time too so like I stopped a big chunk of the way like I remember like not getting to spoilers of where the story I was pretty deep into the game and I stopped playing and when it, again when it got re-released uh, for a remaster 
on PS4. Bought it day one, started playing it again, and then I just, I don't know what it was. I just kept dragging my feet on it. And sometimes there could be movies or games or shows that kind of bring you back to a certain time. And I think, um, and I think it was, could have been part of that that I didn't want to go back to it. Or I just couldn't go back to it, but uh, I eventually did complete it uh, last year, which is crazy to think that it's only been a year since I finished the game, but for so long, these last seven years, I've loved it. I've loved these characters. I've loved the story that I saw. Um, I even named my car Ellie, which is crazy to think that I named my car after a character that I didn't kind of get to see the ultimate end of the game yet. But um, <laughs> do you regret it now? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Like, damn uh, it! But but the but it's just funny to think that like for so long that was the joke of like I didn't finish The Last of Us. I didn't finish The Last of Us. And to your point, like uh, or <laughs> Daniel, when we went to we were watching a uh, Doctor Strange of all movies, and like I felt so. I felt like that secondhand embarrassment for you until it turned on me when you, I was literally buying popcorn and you go to my concession, the guy who is helping me at concession. <laughs> and you're like, yo, this, this guy that you're helping, he hasn't played the last of us. And then he's literally about to give me my popcorn. And he's like, you haven't played the last of us. <laughs> and I just remember you and shade dying of laughter. And I thought this guy, this guy's about to spit in my popcorn right now. Um, but it's just it's just crazy, and that was kind of like the ongoing joke. But after I finished it, I remember messaging you guys and showing you guys kind of like a picture of that final cutscene, and just being like, "Oh my god, this is that this just happened." And um, what Naughty Dog could do with storytelling is on a level that is so hard to beat. And knowing how long they've been working on this game. And knowing how Last of Us Part 1 ended, that game doesn't need a sequel. But the fact that they have a sequel in mind and that they want a story that they want to tell makes me so excited to see what's coming next. Yeah, I think, I mean, Babs, you kind of nailed it with the whole, like, the game being complete and then not really feeling the the, the need for a sequel. I would have been... I... I I feel about Last of Us the way I felt about Blade Runner, which is, like, it doesn't need a sequel. Leave it. It belongs in history as the thing that it was, and then that's it. But I get like when you have somebody, if you have a story to tell, or if you have the right team that can actually push that story forward, I now feel that Blade Runner twenty forty nine is a is a more complete piece of of cinema than than the original Blade Runner was, despite me loving Blade Runner and thinking that it's one of the best movies ever made. Right. Um, but that that like that skepticism at the beginning. It you know from the onset is like please don't ruin this like it told the story please don't ruin this this franchise and don't ruin the story by expanding on it or trying to draw out meaning where there might not be as much meaning as you're really hoping and I think you know I'm not going to talk about Blade Runner too much but they gave it to the right people and they acknowledged that you know a particular person could make a better version of it than you know Ridley Scott did. What I, what I love about Last of Us is, you know, it's still Neil Druckmann. It's still, you know, a lot of the, the developers and a lot of the producers of the original game um, that have learned a lot from working, you know, on other games between um, Last of Us and and Last of Us Part Two. you know, Uncharted 4, Lost Legacy, a couple of other games that they've contributed to. So it really feels as though they had this kind of lingering curiosity to go back and 
you know, talking about how long it's been since the first game, I really do think that they probably took years to, to come up with a concept that was like, oh, we have a story that's worth telling. So let's make this game now because if I'm thinking about it from a strictly, you know, producing another game. We probably would have seen it maybe three or four years ago if they had rushed it. But it does feel like when they finished 2013, they were like, you know what, let's take a couple of years. Let's make sure that if we are going to go back to this thing, we have enough to be able to go back to it. And it definitely feels like that's kind of where we're at right now is that they, they have a story that they want to tell and they're not just doing it for the sake of putting out a sequel. It it feels like they, they really just want to go back and, 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 and uncover more of maybe what we didn't see in the first game and learning a little bit more about Ellie as she gets older and Joel as obviously he's getting older as well. Yeah, and I mean, you look at, especially like, it, it kind of blows my mind because... You know the the last Last of Us was a PS3 generation game, but even then it looked beyond its years. And when it got remastered for PS4, it's easy to kind of think of Last of Us as a present day system game. Where really this Last of Us Part Two is really going to be um, the showcase, and again the swan song for the PS4, like Last of Us was for the PS3. Um, and you kind of look back at the Uncharted development cycle where it's like 2007 is the first one 2009 is two and then 2011 is three and not to say that those games are rushed but when you look at the difference now between what naughty dog is doing when you look at uncharted 4 and you look at uncharted lost legacy and last of us part 2 compared to their original body of work on the ps3 it's like it's masterful like i don't even know how else to describe how stunning these games look and how much depth you could get from just the trailers alone. And I just, I just love the studio so much. It's just on a, on a, on a tier of its own. I agree. I, I don't know if there's a studio out there that's just produced as much quality in it as long as they have um, with, you know, increasing production value, increased budget. Um, you know, you called out uncharted two earlier. I played, uncharted one and the jump between uncharted one and uncharted two was just so substantial that it felt like they just took everything that they did well to attend um after you know years of being really really good and and, and being you know one of those in-house sony developers that always was publishing uh good to great titles but then it just kind of took off and i think they're now the premier developer under the playstation studios brand but also just one of the premier developers in the world period right um and i and i don't know if that's it feels like it just kind of crept up on us, but it's been sustained for 11 years now. Like they've put out a lot of stuff in the last decade and none of it has really taken a quality hit. Even things like Lost Legacy have been just like they're stellar tier games. That was supposed to be a piece of DLC or a small story and it ended up becoming a great game within itself, right? Exactly. Um, I will say that that Cineplex moment comes up often and, and Shay, it's funny because that moment like, just to give more background, that didn't just come out of nowhere. Like that was years of, of Shay and I messaging you. Like I, there'd be days where I wouldn't talk to you and I would just message you in all caps, like finish last of us. Yeah. And like, that's it. That would be my like, whole interaction with you for like a week. At like four in the morning, I'll get like a text message. <laughs> Daniel, finish the last of us. I'm like, Daniel, why now? But yeah, no, hundred percent. That like, was, that was years of, of that ongoing joke. And it feels weird that it's not happening anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like it. I wish you had never played it so we could go back and just continue to do it. Like, just, just harass you in the middle of the night. I'm going to do it with Last of Us 2, like the first night that it comes out. Just oh, to... I, have to, I have to beat it day one now so I, I could message you guys instead. 
Yeah, eh? okay. Change our numbers, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I used to, it was funny because I used to message anytime I messaged you and said Last of Us, I would just screen cap it and send it to Shay and be like, "Yo, you need to, you need to tell Dan too. Like, you got to tell Babs right now. Like, it, I don't care what time it is if you didn't respond or whatever." So it's uh, it's pretty funny that I'm glad you finally finished it after all of these years. But it took a lot of effort from a lot of different people, including you, anonymous Cineplex guy, who I'm sure yeah, is not listening to this podcast, but. Uh, not um, again, not that you. I didn't, I wasn't in love with what I played. It's just, you know, sometimes there's just those, sometimes there's just things that just hit at different times of your life and not to sound ominous. It's just like, sometimes that just, it just happens. And sometimes you just miss things. And I'm just, I'm so glad that I, I still have this, I had this love for it. And I got to, you know what it is? I got to like preserve that feeling of look how long this game is lasting me. That's, that's how I'm looking at it now. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. It's kind of like we need like every Switch game that I haven't completed ever that you there keep hounding me about beating. So yeah, it goes both ways. There you go. Um, Shay, your background, you haven't spoken in a while. Your background with the game um, and just kind of, I guess, what got you excited about it. Love to hear that. Love to hear about that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I just want to go on the record first and say that I didn't respect BAPS until last year. Let's, I just want to be clear. Uh, he wasn't a human. Did you beat it last year, Bap? Sorry, like it was it was it 2019 that you beat it? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. I didn't respect him until the day that he messaged me with the or messaged us. I'd say with the ending of the game, I was like, oh, okay, now I can add your number in my phone. So, Which is weird because we went on trips and stuff together too, mm-hmm. and like he did not have my number saved. I, I didn't even talk to you on those trips. That was the weirdest part about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, why um, did we do that? <laughs> but I remember, yeah, I remember. So my my history with Naughty Dog or Uncharted, I guess you could say, is it really is Uncharted. And I remember I bought a PS3, uh, a second one for my room, and it came with Uncharted Two. And I was like, okay, I don't really care about this game, but I'll I'll try it out. And I remember that opening scene with the train, and I just. I was hooked. I was in this game. I wanted to see it through and I fell in love with the Uncharted series. So when the video game awards happened in 2011 and we got that trailer, I was like, okay, whatever this game is, that's it. That's, that's what I got to play. And funny enough, I, I was, I got the game and I had, you know, Gabby, one of the hosts on the slice uh, come over to my house and he was like, Oh, let's, let's try playing it together. I'm like, cool. I'm like, I'm going to play it. You can watch. So we played together, or I guess I should say I played and I let him play a little bit here and there, but I would say majority or if not all the game. So if anything, Daniel, or who am I talking to now? Daniel or Babs? Daniel, you should talk to, <laughs> you should talk to Gabby and have him actually play the game. Like actually I don't find Gabby, I don't have Gabby as uh, impressionable as, uh, as Babs. So I, I don't think any amount of pressure will break him he will do whatever he wants forever he will just take his shirt <laughs> off instead um yeah or take his pants off if you push him too far and i really don't want to do that i feel like it's, it's not even that far at all we did that too. it's not um, it's really not i i can't remember what event it was but we were at my house i think it was me you shay and shane and i think we showed shane the prologue that way mm-hmm. as well too at my place Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it was just one of those things that like, it was one of those games. You had to show people this. You have, you have to. to show people. The the prologue is really what, and I guess we'll talk about it in a few minutes here, but it really, it, it sinks you in. And it's, it's really a hook, line and sinker kind of moment that once that title sequence comes in, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm in this game for sure. I'm not stopping. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I played The Last of Us and I fell in love on the PS3 with it. It was the swan song. It ended that era for, for PS3. And then as soon as that remaster was announced, I'm like, I got to play it again. So obviously I got it day one. And I remember I played through it right away. And then I played through it one more time after, uh, along with obviously the the um, Left Behind, the, the DLC that came with it too. And then uh, I'm kind of going through it again now because of this podcast. But yeah, The Last of Us is is I think it's the writing, I think it's the it's the music, it's it's everything about that game that I didn't expect. And as I kept going, I fell more and more in love with everything about it. And uh, I was totally against wanting a sequel, but after seeing the team that was involved and seeing the purpose that they were trying to drive with it, and seeing the fact that the game isn't being rushed out. Uh, and that they're really taking their time with it, I couldn't be more excited. And Babs and I got a chance in 2018 or 2017, Babs, we got a chance to go to uh, uh, 2017, PSX. yeah. 2017, we had a chance to go to the PlayStation Experience in Anaheim. And uh, I remember Troy Baker came out, Nolan Nord, Neil Druckmann, and they talked more. And Haley Gross, who, Grossman, who's the writer for, lead writer for The Last of Us 2, she's coming from... Uh, Westworld. So they've got a whole new writing team here, which I think is a smart idea. You want to make sure that you're coming at it with a fresh approach. So to see them all come out, talk about the game. And I remember at that point, Daniel or Babs, they said the game is 50% done. I remember Neil's saying that. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, what oh, does this no. mean? Was it only 50% they said? They said 50%. And I remember oh, being like, God. that's that's such a crazy feeling. I'm like, if it took this long to get to 50 who knows when we'll get the game? Yeah. And, you know, here we are, yeah, just yeah. shortly away from crazy. Um, yeah, because I yeah I remember that so well because uh, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson came out on stage and they were performing mm-hmm. uh, the song that they they that Ellie sings in the teaser trailer for part two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll never forget like me watching on my phone on the lunch break, uh, PSX, and then because it was like on the Friday they announced it or Saturday, and I remember running to you Shay and being like dude they just announced part two to the last of us and we're just like (laughs) how how do we how do we react to this like it's just it's just crazy to think that that was four years ago now this game is seven years old and i remember remember my reaction was uh damn you got to finish this game that was my reaction (laughs) (laughs) you're like do you even know what that is i'm like do you know what part two even means yet Ellie is not Ellen Page. She's actually a completely different person. No, I think I think Bab said to me, "Who's Ellie?" And I'm like, oh, "What do you mean? You haven't gotten there yet?" <laughs> but Daniel, you've had your car for so long now. I don't get it. Why did you finish? You just finished the prologue, and then was like, "Yeah, that's, that's it. great. Everything yeah. I need to know." <laughs> I'm going to name my car Sarah. How's that? No. Oh no! Oh and no! And then he got into a crash. Minutes after oh, receiving his car. Boy. Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, so, I mean, I, Shay, I, I'm, the history that I have with this and you at the same time is that uh, we didn't speak before this game came out. We weren't friends. Mm-hmm. We were sworn enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember trying to break. I, I, I tried to, to, to break our veil of silence. We worked together for a number of years for everybody out there that doesn't know that. Um, and Shay and I had never really spoken before. And my approach to him was, I, I guess I had heard him talking to Gabby about The Last of Us. And one day I was like, hey, man, are you playing The Last of Us? And he was like, 
I was like, shut the yeah. fuck up, man. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I could still see. I knew where you were. You were you were standing in front of the fridges on the other side of the lunchroom table, and I was like, I'm gonna ask him about this, and I did. And then I just gradually kept asking about it over the course of like a month, and then eventually he was like, Yeah, you know what part I really like? And I was like, Hi, got this motherfucker. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, I got I got bamboozled here. You got you got catfished, man. Oh God, uh, I got sucking into a friendship I didn't want. Yeah, oh god, you can still leave. It's great. Yeah. That's the At the power end of this game, though, man. It brings it's a game about it brings love. Enemies as together. Druckmann said. It does. Yeah, uh, you were my Tommy. Uh, <laughs> then... <laughs> oh no. So yeah, so I mean, it was funny to me because that's. I mean, it, it, we joke about it, but it actually did. Like, I remember that year it being a huge point of 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 um, of discussion for everybody. I know that was a gamer that you know was looking forward to. Uh, you know, a swan song and, and, and looking forward to the beginning of PS4 and Xbox uh, One. And this was the game that came out that summer that everybody was like, man, and, and summer is not a busy time for video games either. So it really, when you when something great releases during the summer, I think of games like Bioshock, I think of games like, you know, Last of Us being a perfect example, uh, you know, Uncharted, I think four came out in the summertime in May or yeah, in May. I yeah, just celebrated four years this week, actually. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations, Naughty Dog, on another masterpiece of yours. Um, but yeah, the summer games tend to stand out because they really do give uh, enough room to, to breathe. There, there's not a release coming up the following week in a lot of cases, right? So you get a little bit more time to maybe uh, play through a game a second time or, or, you know, drag your feet a little bit. Maybe not as much as BAPS, but you still get to drag your feet right. a little bit and finish a game. Um, so I, I really just appreciate that we're going to get to do that again with Last of Us 2. It's coming out, obviously, during a time that... We could not have predicted in 2013, um, but it's going to have enough breathing room for us to really sit down and, and absorb everything that it has to offer. Um, and hopefully, it, you know, it tells a story that, that a couple of years from now, we'll be doing a podcast series on, on The Last of Us Part <laughs> Two and breaking it down. But that's yet to be determined. Right. Um, it's crazy, though, to think that um, I was watching the reveal trailer for this game today and literally Ellie is talking about how empty the streets are and how Joel says people used to, these streets used to be so busy with people and you're just, it's just kind of like, I remember watching that and being like, ha post apocalypse. That'll never happen. And then you kind of see the state of the world today a little bit. And obviously we're not there. We don't have clickers and runners and things like that around us yet. But like, it's, it's yeah, one yeah, of those things where you. just like, there's some, it's like eerily quiet in a lot of places. So it's just, uh, it's funny that way. And I also think PlayStation has done, like to your point as well, Ortega or Daniel, um, that PlayStation's really found their their spot with their exclusive releases. When you look at, you know, God of War, uh, Days Gone, um, we have Last of Us now in June, we have Ghost of Tsushima in July. They're really picking those dates that there's not a lot of annualized franchises. So they're really getting that that moment of time to get people to focus on what they're putting out. And I think that's such a clever thing to do because once you get into September, October, November, you're fighting all the time for attention because you're getting the annualized series. You're getting the big holiday releases. So you, they're, they're picking their times in these release dates to really let everyone who's even a little bit interested that time for it to shine. And I, and I really appreciate that. They really don't, uh, you know, thinking in recent memory, I don't remember the last time that they released a, a, a console exclusive in the fall. Like everything has been March to August, really. 
Exactly. Uncharted Lost Legacy, you know, you called out Days Gone. I don't think, I, I really don't think that God there's actually War, been a fall exclusive. Yeah. Even Spider Man was September, so like it was still like early enough that it wasn't like fighting for everyone's um, attention come the fall. It missed that COD window. Like it, it, it kind of came out right before yeah. everything kicks in in late October, yeah. early November, right? And and obviously Uncharted as well, as we said, it was in May as well. So they're and Bloodborne, I think, was in February. So like they they really have these uh, these dates in mind to get people to to playing their games, and I think it's. Uh, it really works well for them. Sorry, Bloodborne is in March. Yeah, it tends to kick off in March with MLB The Show. Even Neo came out March. Uh, you know, we saw um, Final Fantasy VII Remake come out this year. That was in yep. April. So that is their their spring is is where they really kind of jump ahead and and start to to release their heavy hitters. Um, so interestingly enough, I know we've been talking about The Last of Us 2 uh, and, and its upcoming date. Um, just to give a little bit of background on Last of Us, the original, it also experienced a, a pushback uh, of sorts um, when it when it was originally announced. It was supposed to come out in May of 2013 and got pushed to June. So it's, it's uh, indicative of what's happening right now. I don't know if that was intentional or not. I'm sure it's not. Um, but it was pushed back initially and it was released in June. So we're getting it almost almost six years to the date that we got the last of us um the first last of us game which is pretty exciting so it would it could only be more perfect if it was the fifth or tenth anniversary but fifth would have been too soon and 10 would have been way too far out but there might have been a chance that it might have been 10 years um oh, if they had yeah. continued at their pace it's also fitting that it's ending the ps4 era you know like this is the game that's gonna lead us into ps5 so I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm curious to see if they're going to do like that smart delivery um, and see if there's going to be a, a quick turnaround on a Last of Us Part Two for PS5. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, PS5 enhanced. Yeah, that's got some sort of you know refine. You know, everybody's talking about the SSD and how quick it it, it, uh, it it's able to to perform at. So I wonder if we see maybe Naughty Dog taking a little bit of an advantage of that and, and potentially having a port out sooner rather than later. That'd be pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's. I'd love to give some background on the game um, and The Last of Us, uh, the original Last of Us, before we jump into talking about... Um, you know, some of the other stuff that we want to share before we jump into the to the heat of things, into the plot of things. So we mentioned it earlier, but it was announced in 2011. Um, you know, not a lot of people really knew that it was coming. Nobody really knew that it was coming. Uh, there was something that I was reading about, funny enough, that Uncharted 3 uh, actually had a, a little bit of a spoiler for The Last of Us, but nobody really picked up on the Easter egg because The Last of Us announcement actually got pushed to December of that year to the Video Game Awards, but it was actually intended to be uh, announced earlier that year. So if you play Uncharted 3, I believe it was Uncharted 3, you'll actually see that uh, that there's a, a newspaper ad early on in the game that talks about a deadly virus not being able to be cured, and that was really supposed to be a, a, a tidbit of information to lead into The Last of Us. So there were some theories about a shared universe at first, um, but really it was just kind of an Easter egg that they had worked in that was just mistimed, and they forgot to take it out. That's really the explanation that they gave. They just kind of left it in there. So for those of you that go back and play the Uncharted series, if you see a magazine or you see a newspaper that, that talks about a deadly virus, know that it's the uh, prediction of what's to happen in The Last of Us Part 1. Um, 
diving into it a little bit more, uh, we talked about you know Neil Druckmann and some of the the creative staff behind The Last of Us too. But Neil Druckmann uh, headed up the project. Druckmann took over as the creative director about a year into the game's development. Uh, he was praised for a lot of his design work, um, and you know I think we see that as we play the game. You know, really beautiful design, really really thought out design. Um, so it sounds like the reins kind of were handed over as they realized that, you know, Neil was really in a leadership role on that project. Um, and he's done a great job of really being the spokesperson for Last of Us on social media, um, you know, through interviews. He's really kind of been the creative force behind it and, and the face of the franchise. You know, last week yeah. he announced that Last of Us Part Two went gold. He announced that on his personal Instagram. So he's really become synonymous with the Last of Us franchise at this point. And I think so, too, with Naughty Dog in general, because, you know, he did such an amazing job with The Last of Us that he stepped into the director role for Uncharted 4, you know, you know, and that's and Uncharted is Naughty Dog still like their like their biggest franchise, at least in sales wise. Um, and he stepped into the role to fill in for Uncharted 4 uh, after there was a little bit of drama at Naughty Dog with Amy Henning leaving. Mm -hmm. And uh, drama like that, but he still took over Uncharted 4 as director, and now here he is back again, like with The Last of Us. And you know, Naughty Dog doesn't rush their games, and it's I think it's synonymous with their quality and their faith in Neil to um, take the series to the next level. And I think that's uh, that's that's pretty amazing when you look at when you look at the legacy of Uncharted and uh, no pun intended and last of us and how much and their sales now compared to what they were on PS3. Now this generation, it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it really shows. And I mean, night dog again, they're so story driven, but not even just that the gameplay, the graphics. I remember one of my, it's such a small thing, but I remember when I used to play Uncharted, the, the smallest things that make a difference to me, like the AI of a, of a character that, or an NPC that I'm walking past, they would recognize me. And then I'm like, oh, okay, NPCs are usually pretty dumb, these non-playable characters. I'm just going to walk around some more and they'll eventually stop looking for me. But no, in a Naughty Dog game, that guy is going to hunt for you. He's going to look <laughs> for you. He's going to try to kill you. And I also remember playing as Nathan Drake and walking around these beautiful set designs but the character would wouldn't just walk around he would touch the walls he would he would kind of you would feel like nathan drake is a real person and uh and, and this is not any shade to assassin's creed i love the assassin's creed games as well but the main difference that when you play those games is those characters when they walk around it looks like a video game you can really tell that this character is moving around and it's it's a simulation but when i was playing uncharted or any naughty dog game or any uh, like any yeah any naughty dog game it just feels like they thought of the smallest things to make sure they they feel like you're actually in the game. I have I will reserve my opinion on the uh, the AI aspect until the next episode. But I ran into <laughs> something funny earlier today that I, that I oh, it's pretty jarring. There's definitely <laughs> there's definitely some dumb moments for sure. But I oh, think yeah. overall, compared to some other games that I've come across, overall for sure. Yeah. Yes, especially in the animations. I think that's really, that's really the most noticeable. The mm -hmm. way that they interact is always going to be. There's always bugs and there's always inconsistencies, but of course, animation of wise, for sure, I definitely, I definitely see that. Mm -hmm. um, so a little bit of background on the characters. We talked about Neil, uh, Bruce Stanley also uh, helped head the original project as well. Um, Ellie was actually originally intended to be Joel's daughter, 
which uh, the team decided against because it pigeonholed the character's development. So obviously we've talked about Sarah a little bit, and if you've played the game, um, you know kind of what what her fate is, uh, and you you know what uh, Ellie and Joel's fate is as well. But, um, you know, I'm kind of glad that they made that decision because I, I, I remember a time thinking that Ellie might have been Joel's daughter, that there was definitely that father-daughter dynamic, and that is really where they started the development uh, of the story, is they really wanted the two of them to feel that dynamic, um, but it was never really explicitly stated that Ellie was his daughter, so you kind of understand it, obviously, as the narrative plays out over the course of the game, but not surprised at all to 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 know that that's kind of what the original intention was, but it would have taken away one of the most kind of, you know, heart-wrenching moments of the game had they had they decided to stick with that, had there been no other narrative changes other than that one. So I'm glad they stuck with the story the way that they did. But as all games have, uh, you know, uh, concept ideas and, and stuff that changes throughout the, the development process, um, that's one of the ones that I'm definitely happy about them yeah. keeping intact. Uh, yeah, and, and I love that. I love that too. And I, I remember reading that as well and being like, you know, when you have if it was a father-daughter journey, you know, all of that ambiguity that Joel would be dealing with that, hey, I have to now take over and deal with this girl and I have to get her from point A to point B, all that is kind of all that extra level of threat and anger and just kind of resentment wouldn't be there because his daughter, you're not going to be feeling these things about your own daughter. But now that they opened it up and they're like, no, he's actually going to be taking over and looking after this girl who he doesn't want to do this job, but now he has to do it because of the circumstance that he's in. It brings such a unique dynamic to their character and to see them grow together as the game goes on as well too, makes it all more fulfilling because that relationship between Joel and Ellie was earned throughout the, throughout the gameplay and throughout the story it wasn't something that with a father daughter it's kind of always the baseline so it was earned throughout the game and i and i really commend them for making that decision and that choice yeah like i mentioned i think it it, it worked out uh it worked out i think in the favor of the narrative to have it not play out that way and, and have a, a secondary char character introduced in sarah um to really give joel the drive that he has and, and that that longing for that same connection that he had with his daughter with Ellie as the game, um, as the game progresses. Right. Exactly. Um, so that was another big fact kind of that we, that I, that I was reading about, uh, just in the development of the game. Um, Gustavo, uh, Santo, Santa, Lala, Santa Lala, uh, composed the soundtrack and is composing the soundtrack for the second one as well. We will talk about music at length over the course of this podcast because we love it. This is a great soundtrack. It is, uh, it is haunting. It is emotional. It is understated. It, it, you know, it really sets up so many emotional moments of this game um, from the from the title uh, sequence all the way to the ending of the game. Music has such a significant role in this um, yeah. and even you know baps and and Shay, as you talked about earlier at one of their showcases they actually just had him play a song. Or I think was it Troy Baker or was it uh, Gustavo at, that played it? I don't remember. At, at a PSX when Shane and yeah. I went, uh, it was Troy Baker and it was at Ashley Johnson who were playing. Right. Um, but yeah, Gustavo. Um, has, I think Gustavo I think came played, out at E3, right? Yeah, he, he yes. came out at another event that he played, and you know, from the very first reveal of The Last of Us, his score was there, and I and I love that because a lot of the times with reveal trailers, you'll get just kind of fill in music, but from day one his music was there to score this game and it's 
it really is as part of the game as the story or the characters are. Shay, thoughts? I think he he set a tone for this game. Like you hear it and you already feel, I don't want to say the word depressed, but you feel almost like this this weight on you that you're like, okay, I'm about to do something that's really important here. Um, like I'm not at the gym listening to The Last of Us Part Two. I'm actually just never at the you're gym not, at man. all. I'm just never at the gym at all. You're not listening to that? <laughs> no. But um, but I think the how subtle the music is, and it feels like the music is what what's the word of here? It's it's so involved because it takes all the elements that are natural in this yeah. world. He's not using anything electric in a way. You know, the, right. the whole world is is broken down and it's a glitch it's, mob soundtrack. <laughs> it's just it's a pure six mafia. Yeah, score for it's this. just dubstep. I would be all over that. Oh my god! Um, I think yeah, it's just, part it's two just should a be banjo. Dubstep. You know, <laughs> is, it, just, is it a banjo? Just, it's a banjo. Yeah, and just oh, wow. to um, just it's the banjo kazooie actually. <laughs> oh wow! It's a, it's it's the <laughs> Microsoft's coming in too. Um, yeah. So just to fact check what we did earlier, uh, Gustavo came out at uh, E three two thousand eighteen. Um, and that's where he uh, he performs the Last of Us theme. Excellent. Yeah, I knew he did it. I just couldn't remember when. So I'm glad it actually happened, and I didn't just imagine. You just that. didn't imagine it. No, I, I, I remember <laughs> there was like this like dark room, and the light was on him, and then you just heard the plucks of the strings, and then you just hear that little like, whatever's making that sound in the background, the and then it just oh it. It settles you in. I, I listen to the score a lot personally um, when I'm at home because I just I love how it sounds and it reminds me of the memories that I have playing this game. Some of my best memories were playing The Last of Us, and it's not because Gabby was there. I don't want him to think that, and it's not because he wasn't wearing a shirt. It was purely because the game had me so emotionally involved. Gabby is the Ellie to your Joel. It sounds like he's the he's a Sarah to my Joel. He's a Sarah to you. Oh, oh that's sad. <laughs> oh, boy. He's, he's, more like, he's more like Tommy, I'd say. <laughs> I thought you were Tommy to my Joel. Well, but, but, in, but in my world, I'm Joel and he's Tommy. Gabby's a clicker. <laughs> Can we agree? <laughs> Gabby's he's a just... clicker. Gabby's a clicker. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, yeah, music, very important and will be an important part of Last of Us Part Two, I'm sure, as well. Uh, another, I mean, this is something that we don't want to discuss. I think when we were actually coming up with this podcast, we really talked about not wanting to do it as like a review. Um, we know that this game is beloved by, you know, most people that have played it. But I will mention it does hold a very, very high uh, um, score on not only Metacritic, but on most gaming sites. Um, it was immediately met with critical acclaim. Um, everybody had really praised it. Uh, for what it was when it first came out. I think it holds a 95 right now. Last time I checked a couple days ago, I, I doubt anybody's gone in and tanked the uh, the reviews for it in the last two days. Hopefully um, It'd be strange if they did. Uh, but it holds a 95 on Metacritic, so it's right up there with the greats in terms of of, of you know highest-rated games of all times across all uh, all review platforms. Yeah, um, it's, it's hard but, to get a over 90 on Metacritic nowadays. So whenever you see something break that ceiling, you have to you have to give it your attention. For sure. And I think I think Neil talking about it in an interview in 2013, he was talking about how he felt like it was actually going to be a less popular game. It was going to be more, uh, you know, a, a more niche audience was really going to uh, gravitate toward it based on its difficulty and its more mature themes. And 
you know, the way that violence is really utilized in the game, it's pretty brutal compared to anything that we've seen in, for sure, Jack and Daxter. Um, but compared to Uncharted, uh, it's not even close in terms of, you know, how um, how gritty and how, you know, grounded, no pun intended, it really feels when you're going through some of the moments of the game. And it's just absolutely brutal in the way that you see um, the violence take place between characters in this game. So they seemed surprised by how kind of, you know, popular it became and it being a game that didn't necessarily have this huge lead up. Like we talked about a lot earlier. Um, it was coming on the heels of one of the biggest games that had been released for the PS3 and Uncharted 3. So I'm sure that, you know, there was a little bit of, of, uh, of them maybe not reading the audience of Naughty Dog at the time as well as they could have. But the other side of that, I, I could definitely see why, you know, the developers are going into it thinking that it wouldn't have that same commercial appeal that, that some of the other previous Naughty Dog franchises had had. Yeah, and I mean, like, it, it, it goes to show in the sales, you know. And now The Last of Us has, has amassed over 20 million copies and sales and you know we've seen it be part of playstation plus we've seen it go for as low as like five dollars to buy it because sony believes in this franchise and as does naughty dog and you know now i think it only sold around six million copies on the ps3 which is a lot but that was kind of over from 2013 to now um but when you when you kind of see what this game has now done total over 20 million copies that's that's pretty amazing and it just goes to show how how much Naughty Dog has really gotten street cred now as a developer from, you know, after Uncharted 4 and just the entire Uncharted series in general, how much people love their games and want to play what they create. Yeah, definitely. Like like we talked about earlier, they're now one of the premier most sought after developers, I think. And and when you when you see the Naughty Dog stamp on something, I think you immediately expect quality in the same way that, you know, developers like Rockstar and, you know, the most renowned developers on the planet, Naughty Dog now lives in that echelon of maybe, you know, three or four developers that really put out quality with every single release. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, expect. yeah, their c cinematic gameplay games, like they are uh, like in, in, in the, the, high, the, the major leagues right now. Yeah, it's one thing to make a game that, you know, has amazing visuals and a great story, but to also make the gameplay as exciting and as fresh. Um, for me, some of my favorite elements that they that they introduce are just the the customization going in and, and changing your weapons around. And from what we're seeing of The Last of Us 2 and how that looks, it looks like it's going to be even better. Like everything in the game, to a certain degree, feels real like it feels like oh okay yeah if i was in a post-apocalyptic world i'd be able to do this in some way i mean i'm stretching it obviously but it, there's that belief there so that's right, what that, i loved the most about yeah what that they realism did. it's it's just grounded in in realism that it just really makes you feel like yeah this could happen i mean it's happening right now um <laughs> It's it. We'll get to it in the prologue, but there was moments in the prologue as I was playing through it, I was like, "Motherfucker!" Like I can't play any quarantine or like zombie or like anything post-apocalyptic because there's just there's just these breadcrumbs that are like, "Oh yeah, that's definitely happening right now." So I guess this is what we have to look forward to if things continuously get worse. But the division more so than Last of Us, but they are equally um, terrifying to look at <laughs> given what's going on in the world right now. I'm yeah. just expecting that one day we're going to look outside and there's going to be clickers. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, like, the story itself, like, it's not really an uplifting game in the sense of, like, hey, I'm in a great mood. Let me play this. But it still has a magic to it that it will still draw you in and you'll want to play it. And I think there's no better there's no better uh, way to show that off than that prologue that we we get introduced to in the game. It's just you know, mm. it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Before we jump into that prologue, one last thing, um, just as a, as an important note and some background on the game, the infected are based on the the cordyceps fungi, uh, which are awful looking, by the way. Looking at these things on Google Images, um, as you can imagine, because the the zombie esque creatures, the infected in the game, if you will, um, are also horrid looking. They're like some of them are actually like beautiful and they look like flowers, but then they try to rip your head off, so they're terrifying. Yeah, but they do look really cool, like the, the the detail and the design that goes into them each individually. I mean, I was going through the art book and just looking at some of the, the individual design of some of the characters, and they all look so significantly different because I think the intention was to have each of them reflect different characteristics of the infected um, person that they really took over, right? And the cordyceps fungi, like in all in in reality, is something that eventually takes over at ho- it, its host. So it kind of makes sense that it would adopt those features, or that it would change depending on the individual that it that it takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, it, it makes sense in line in line with reality. It it sounds like that uh, that would be the way that things would play out ha- if it if it ever got to the scale that it does in The Last of Us. Yeah, they just want to give you a hug, man. That's all. Yeah, man. It's just so depressing to think about it. I just don't want to get hugged by uh, by any of the characters in this game, really, other than maybe Joel. I'd say so. They just got really quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm crying. <laughs> I was just crying thinking about the prologue. Uh, okay, well, let's get into it. Uh, the prologue um, is something that sets the tone for the game, for sure. I just played it a couple of hours ago, mm. and I remember it being much longer. And it tells a very, very powerful story and it establishes a lot in the characters and it does so in maybe 20 minutes. And I think that that's really a testament to how much ground they cover in some of the the subtleties and the way that the characters interact. And it's, it really is just Tommy, um, Joel and, and, and Sarah that really interact in that first 20 minutes of the game, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it is. I thought it was longer just because of, I guess the emotional investment and, and what you feel at the end of it just feels like it would have been built up so much more, but there really isn't that much buildup. What mm-hmm. happens at the end of the prologue happens fairly quickly and you don't really see it coming. And there isn't a ton of lead up to it from, uh, from, you know, there's no real suspense being built up toward it. There's no real foreshadowing that it's, that what's going to happen is going to no. happen. So it does feel jarring, but it just, they establish so much with so little, um, which is really impressive, uh, all things considered, um, when it comes to the prologue. I think, yeah, I mean, this, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Shay. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think the reason why, um, Daniel, it feels so long is I remember when I first played through it, I, for the first couple of minutes when I was playing as Sarah, I was like, oh my God, I walked around that whole house like multiple times because I was like, this is so much detail. I walked in the bathroom, I picked this up, and I walked in that in that room and I and I looked around the TV and then I saw the explosion happen. I, I took my time. Obviously on my playthroughs, I got through that house in like 30 seconds. I, I went downstairs, <laughs> picked up that phone. Uh, you know, Joel comes in, says the neighbors are going crazy and then you're into it. But yeah, the first time I played it, I was like, my God, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm a little girl this whole game. <laughs> and I and I think too, uh, this game literally just starts you with the most 
I guess like humblest of beginnings, you know, it's like it's Joel's birthday. He's coming home mm-hmm. and it's like, here's his daughter waiting for him on the couch. And it's the most human of moments too. Mm-hmm. And she's giving him a watch. And it's, it's such like a, it's such an amazing way to establish who these characters are and how important they are to each, in each other's life. And what I love and about that watch. It's so simple. Yeah. So, sorry, Daniel, uh, uh, Baps. What I was going to say, what I love about that watch is, you know, the first thing that Joel says is, oh, it's broken. It's not, it's not working. And then once the prologue finishes and we introduce to Ellie, like that's the first thing that she says about his watch is, Hey, your watch doesn't work. (laughs) So it's funny those tie-ins are there. Exactly. Right. Like he'll do it as a joke. And like, it's building that relationship between Joel and Sarah, just like that. They they joke around with each other. They have a good time. And then it, it goes right to exactly what you said. And it almost turns to a little bit of a horror game, because mm-hmm. you're just like walking around this house, you see like her her school stuff and her bedroom, and you see stuff, and you're checking messages, and like you're just kind of going room to room, like a, like it's a walking simulator almost, just to kind of see what's going on. And this house feels so lived in. And then when you go downstairs, and you start to see the stuff going on in the world, and you get the phone call, and you hear the explosion, and like you hear the dog barking, and anytime you have like that kind of consistent sound going on in the background when dramatic things are happening it makes you so anxious i think back to um there's this really uh iconic scene in breaking bad where walt's kind of like under in the crawl space of his house ortega will probably know what i'm talking about here um and like it's the camera's just kind of closing in on him as he's being boxed in and there's like the phone the house phone ringing in the background constantly and it just immediately just throws you off edge whenever like there's like a persistent noise in the background and you're just trying to scramble to figure out what's going on and this world this game just throws you right into it after that i think uh you know just having played it you know not too long ago I, i really tried to take the time to actually walk through the house and see if there was any kind of tidbits any foreshadowing and there's quite a bit and i'll mention it in just a moment but i agree shay like the the detail there is it's not detail in the way that like you find out anything more about the infected, you know, you see the TV turn on and they're talking about, you know, what's happening in quarantine and there's a newspaper you pick up in the bathroom that talks about, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's a woman going crazy and killing, I think her family, like three people in her home or so. So you, you see those tidbits of, of the infected, but what it does a really good job of is establishing the life that Ellie and Joel have in that house rather than what's going on in the universe. And that's something that I really appreciate. Um, with the game overall is you don't learn a ton about the infected throughout the course of the game because it really is focused on relationships whether it be you know between joel and ellie which is obviously the main one but also between you know ellie and the fireflies and ellie and you know some peripheral characters um and and you learn a lot about the way that people adjust and interact with one another given the times and that's really where the prologue is at its at its strongest and you know it again it's it's brief but it really is at its strongest in establishing um quickly who the characters are to one another and uh and how much they mean to one another yeah it's doing it's doing world building but it's not doing the world building you would expect from like lore understanding the virus lore lore. no it's just giving you that character buy-in from the from the very beginning right um and i think that that's something that a lot of games tend to not do they really try to get you through tutorial and understanding the background and maybe understanding why you're doing what you're doing and you don't really get that in the last of us you kind of just get thrust into the lives of of sarah and joel 
and then you just kind of see events unfold um, as they happen um, in the first 20 minutes, 20 or 30 minutes of the game. Well, I mean, like when when uh, when Sarah picks up that birthday card in her room and then if you just kind of walk around her room, you are immediately within 10 seconds, you are introduced to her character and you know everything about her, you know, just yep. the kind of person that she is. So, you know, what kind of dad Joel is from his first reaction when he walks in, and he's talking on the phone and he sounds angry or upset and stressed out and he doesn't have time to deal with his own birthday. He can't remember that it's own birthday. So you know right away, okay, this kind of relationship is he's a single dad. Clearly, you know, he's he's working hard and his daughter loves him and they have a great relationship because he loves his daughter. But you you know that within the first three minutes of the game. Yeah, it's it's established pretty much right away, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and I think it has to do that to be able to try to get some of the of the background on Joel, because the game really does focus on Ellie after the first little bit. Mm-hmm. As soon as she's introduced in, into the story, really, it really becomes Ellie's game. Um, and look no further than, you know, Last of Us Part Two being more about Ellie and, and really showcasing Ellie's motivations behind whatever the plot of, of Part Two is. But you really only learn about Joel in these small little incremental moments, and, and the prologue is a significant portion of that. Throughout the rest of the game, you know, he's not... You don't get a lot from him, um, but but that 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 first twenty minutes is such an anchor for who he is, and I'm sure we're going to see that throughout the second game as well as Ellie learns a little bit more um, about him, and, and and we learn about more about what they know about each other after all these years have passed as well, right? So, mm-hmm. what where are you guys with like when the, when this is all happening? You know, we're we're through the perspective of Sarah, so like the world's literally coming to an end. And Sarah is like just trying to see it, th- like th- how her dad is reacting and how her uncle are reacting, and just like I remember being so heartbroken when we're leaving the house because they they're just trying to get out right away, and like I love the fact that you could actually control the camera and not yep. just look forward in the car, but you could actually look behind you in the car too, yep. and just kind of see the life. You're literally seeing the life they're leaving behind right there, and as you're seeing other things happen outside the car too, and just how other people in the world, their neighbors, other people on the side of the road, how they're reacting to it. It's, it's such like that car ride. It's such a harrowing experience. Yeah. And you even get a a sense of Joel's determination to protect at all costs uh, in that first little bit too. You know, they run into um, two characters that are, uh, on the side of the road and looking for assistance and Joel's response is somebody else will come along. Right. And you really get a, a sense of he's not concerned about anybody, but who he's concerned about. And that's Sarah and that's Tommy. And outside of that, like there's nothing that's really going to break his determination. And obviously that, that comes into play as the game um, concludes, but also throughout the story of the game, but it really quickly establishes like Joel is not the guy that's going to, that's going to give any, um, he's not going to take any chances when it comes to protecting the people that mean the most to him. Right. Um, and it's such a small moment, but it, it really, if you think about it in the grand scheme and the grand narrative of the game, it's, it's super consistent with who he is. And it's super consistent with a lot of the decisions that he makes throughout the, the, the rest of the game. Definitely. There is one thing that I noticed uh, playing through it. I was, I was looking for tidbits to see if there's anything uh, that you know was foreshadowing or anything that might've told a little bit more. I noticed one thing, which is if you walk into Joel's room, there's a painting hanging above his bed where I assume he sleeps. Uh, and it's a painting of a winter-esque scene. And there's a deer looking over a, uh, a, a 
snowy area in a forest. Um, I will leave it at that, not to make any other spoilers uh, known at this point in time, but for the two of you that have played the game through, I wonder if that was something that was intentional or whether that was something that just happened to be, um, you know, something that we we reflect on now and think about. But for me, it definitely brought up uh, a later part of the game. And, and I think about, you know, when it comes to design and just how intentional about, uh, sorry, how intentful they were about designing certain things in this game, if that was something that was meant to be a foreshadow for what we see um, in the second half of this game. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They're, they were planting the seeds. Def- 100% they were. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that too, yeah. Uh, outside of that in the house, there's really nothing else that you kind of get um, much perspective on other than, you know, you can read the, 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 the newspaper that I mentioned that talks about some of the stuff that's going on. Again, hauntingly representative of, of what's going on right now with COVID-19. They're talking about like hospitals being overrun with people that are getting sick and yada, yada, yada. So very terrifying, very fun. Um, and then we really just uh, progress to the car sequence that you were talking about, uh, Baps, and you start to get a sense of the chaos that's going in in the rural Austin area. Um, you know, you get a sense that the, the, the city is kind of where everybody assumes that all the sick people are, but it's very clearly not just in the city. You see, you know, a small little town outside of Austin, as Austin is burning in the background, you see this small little town outside of Austin, Texas. Um, and, you know, obviously the infected are there and they're starting to, to overtake the streets and it's really just causing pandemonium um, as they're approaching the highway to try to get to San Antonio or outside of of, of the area that they're living in. Um, and then that's kind of where all hell starts to break loose and you start to see the frantic nature of the game that really doesn't let up at any point. Um, and then, of course, the the big moments that, that we've been alluding to um, since early on in the podcast that happen uh, as as it ends the prologue and as it goes into the to the beginning of, of Joel and Ellie's story. So yeah, um, I mean I think, we can go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and, and right from that car ride into the city, we're already seeing the cutthroat nature that this game is going to be giving us. You know, when they don't stop to help those people at the side of the road, they keep going, and like Sarah's just kind of looking like in amazement like why wouldn't we help them they were just trying to they were just looking for help too and it's such it's it's such a it's such a sad moment because you're looking at this through the eyes of a child and she's just like these are these these are people like me like why wouldn't we help them and it's just it's just it's heartbreaking knowing uh what we're leading to next in the in this next scene that happens in the game i don't think sarah would have made it to be honest with you she wouldn't have. Uh, she wouldn't have done very well in the uh, in the uh, in the post-apocalyptic world. Truthfully, it's. Um, I know it's a bad joke, but uh, no. But like she, honestly, uh, man, like you, you have to in that world. You have to be. You have to be tough-skinned to survive, and who knows what would happen to Joel and her, if she did. Like her, obviously, what happens hardens Joel as a character and turns him into one that's just based on survival, and. Who knows what would have happened to them if it if that moment didn't? And I think what I what I really like about what you guys are describing here is is that progression that we're seeing in the game. Like with, with Sarah, again, it's it's a very small time that we spent with her, but that whole sequence of them leaving the house and pretty much getting into that car crash, um, it shows the world around going completely nuts, and the. And it, it honestly seems believable. They're driving and then people are getting attacked and then they get stuck in traffic as uh, honestly you always do. And then boom, I don't know where a car hits them. And then here we go. We're now 
in the game. And now we're finally playing as Joel. Yeah, we're on foot. We're running. We're literally feeling like your your heart like my heart rate was spiking so much during this scene because mm-hmm. literally every step you take you feel like you're just barely making it mm-hmm. every every step you're going through that city you just feel like you're just scraping by you're just surviving into the next moment into the next moment and you're seeing the world end around you as it is and it's like you're just lost in what's happening and as a player you feel like Okay, I got. I can't focus on this because I got to keep going, and it's just, it's just, it's hats off to their storytelling and the gameplay that just makes you feel like that's happening to you. So your survival instincts get triggered as well. I think uh, one thing to 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 also talk about here. I, I love all the points that you guys are making around just kind of the reality of it and, and feeling very grounded and, and and realistically possible down to the fact that you know when when people are trying to leave a big city that the, the natural instinct is going to be to try to get as far away from the city as you possibly can. Right. And, and, and obviously traffic comes with that and, and all the stuff that we see, just that frantic nature of everybody just not knowing where to go. And there's sequences while they're in the city, as they're driving, that people are running into one direction only to pivot within a second because they see an infected and then they're running into the opposite direction. Um, and, and you really don't know what's going on. Again, you're, you're seeing this primarily through the lens of, of Sarah. Um, you know, you play as Joel once they get into the accident after the fact, but you really are experiencing it through Sarah's perspective for the most part as somebody that's innocent and really doesn't know what to do and is really helpless in this scenario. Um, and then I think, you know, as we get into what happens to Sarah, uh, as they approach the, 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 um, the I guess, I, yeah, as they're approaching the highway or as they're approaching on foot, basically Tommy is protecting and, and he sacrifices himself um, to a certain degree to stay back, to make sure that Joel and Ellie can, uh, sorry, Joel and Sarah can, uh, get away from where kind of all the chaos is happening in this little town. Um, you see this military, I guess it's a military agent. Somebody, somebody from the military is approaching the two of them and going back to that cutthroat nature, you know, he gets a directive to, we assume we never hear it on camera or, or, or see it on screen, but we assume that the order is to, to kill them because there's a possibility that they may be infected. Um, and it really just ties back to what we talked about, you know, with Joel leaving those people behind um, on the side of the street and not really knowing what's going to happen to them. It's that same um, stage setting for the ruthless nature of what we're going to see in, in the world of The Last of Us, you know, child, injured dad begging for assistance to make sure that their kid can be okay. And then this person basically goes and, and, and goes to shoot them because that's what he's instructed to do. Um, and it's a really haunting and it's a terrifying moment because I can't imagine, like I'm, I'm not a father, neither of us, none of us are, but do you imagine being in that position where, you know, you're, you're begging for your child's life and, and it's met with, you know, too bad, so sad. Like there's even a, a, a small chance that you're infected that's it. Like we're, we're, you're basically, you mean nothing to us. We're going to, we're going to dispose of you the way that we see fit. And so that's heartbreaking in itself. But then obviously the big heartbreak here is that Sarah is shot and she dies in Joel's arms. Um, as Tommy is kind of watching after he kills the, the, the military officer, um, and then just kind of watches, uh, Joel fall apart as he's watching Sarah die in his arms. So very, very emotional sequence, very sad to watch. Um, it's probably one of the few times in a video game that I've 
kind of been choked up as it started. I feel like that's something that usually builds to those moments. It kind of reminded me of the first time I watched Up where it, it throws that that oh, big gut-wrenching moment to you so early on that you find yourself trying to recover emotionally. A little bit different because I think in the game you get immersed and you have to learn the, the, the mechanics of the game and so it kind of takes away some of that. But, um, you know, we know that there's a series coming. Like, I can't imagine what that's going to look like on screen if they recreate that that sequence um how just how gut-wrenching that's actually going to be for for whoever uh is playing that actor for joel yeah and i mean there's that moment where the military police is like i guess speaking to his commander like sir there's a but he's with a child's yeah and like it's like you just you see joel's voice here and again it's amazing where we've come with video games because you just see the reaction in his face because he's overhearing this and then when the military police kind of goes to raise his gun again and you just see the horror in his face that his immediate reaction is to protect his daughter and to turn but he wasn't fast enough and for it to kind of start there with the game because really the game hasn't started at all it's literally just that happens and then cut to black and it's just this is the world you're in now and now the game will begin it's it was like, sincerely wow. a, a sincerely a, a jaw-dropping moment i remember i just let go of the controller i put it down and i was like wow and i i don't i don't think i even paid attention to the credits that were coming in i just kind of was like she's dead like that they did they did that they killed off this little girl oh my goodness and then the credits finished and uh i had to pick up that controller you know right right and uh it's funny because like uh the particles you see a lot of particles in this game and that's kind of always that was kind of like an ongoing joke with the playstation 3 is like the particle machine right of how like the playstation always kind of has like these crazy particles in their hardware but in this game you see it highlighted i think the best and especially when Mm. that title sequence kicks in it's just uh it's really what a what an intro what a what a what a way to welcome somebody to your game and it was that moment you're like this is unlike anything they've ever made before i like i said i don't think there's another game that has that that emotional punch uh, to the gut so early on it usually is something that builds up over the course of a narrative and and that's meaningful right yeah and and it's and that doesn't mean that it doesn't feel meaningful. I think it it just means that it's able to establish so much so quickly that you immediately feel, um, you know, some some degree of of heartbreak for for Joel, even though you barely know these characters and you really haven't spent much time with them at all. Exactly, and and I, again, that's uh, that's amazing that they're able to establish so much and really what is only like a five to ten minute sequence. So. This will be, uh, you know, something that we come back to pretty often. Um, the dynamic of Joel and Ellie is heavily influenced by Sarah's death and the father-daughter relationship-esque relationship that Joel and Ellie share throughout the rest of the game. Um, we will definitely reflect on the prologue a lot as it is one of the most impactful moments emotionally in the game. Um with a couple of other parts, obviously, as well. Uh, But this is not something that we just kind of get over it. You definitely carry it with you uh, throughout the rest of the the 20 or so hours uh, it takes to get through The Last of Us, depending on whether you're playing it for the story or whether you're playing more as a completionist. Um, 
are there any last thoughts that you guys want to talk about around the prologue? We've unpacked pretty much every detail of it. Um, but if there's, I don't want to leave any stone unturned when it comes to uh, uh, as important of a sequence as this is. So is there anything else that you guys want to add before we wrap up and, uh, and, and continue our playthrough and continue to, to share the narrative over the course of the next couple of weeks? No, I think I think I think we guys summed it up pretty well here. You know, we talked about our love. We talked about the we talked about how the music really plays into the game, and overall, we talked about the heaviness that this prologue really gives us, and how just like this podcast, we hope that you kind of stick around for what's about to happen because this game and this podcast, we're gonna take you on a ride. Yeah, exactly what Chase said, and. Uh... Dan, we're, we're thankful to be here as guests and to talk about it with you because, you know, this game means so much to us and to everyone listening. And um, I just, I'm just, these are the, these are the days, these are the weeks that I'm most excited about because now the game, the, especially with the sequel coming, it feels the closest that we've ever been to it. It's the realest it's ever been. And I just can't wait to see kind of revisiting everything, how it's all going to kind of sit with us before we eventually get into part two. Yeah, I agree. It finally feels like it's happening. And and I've been we've all been very excited for part two for so long um, that it almost feels surreal that we're finally at that point where we're getting it. Had it not been pushed back, we would be 16 days away, unfortunately, that it didn't come to to happen that way. And we have to wait a couple of extra weeks for it. Thankfully, just a couple of extra weeks for it. But um, but yeah, it feels real. It's on the way. It's only it's only around the quarter now. and. Uh, and we're looking forward to spending the next six weeks leading up to, to, to the surprises that we are sure Naughty Dog has in store for us in The Last of Us Part Two. Mm -hmm. So for you guys, um, if you guys want to plug your own podcast, it doesn't deal with gaming, but you guys do talk about movies and pop culture and stuff like that. I know you talked about it at the beginning, um, but is there any, any, uh, any social media that we need to know about, anything that we want to hear about to follow the movie podcast? Yeah, uh, yeah. So if you like, uh, if you like Shay and I, uh, you could hear more of our voices at uh, at this time with on Instagram and on Twitter. We do the movie podcast weekly that comes out every single Monday across all podcast platforms. As Daniel said, uh, on it we talk about movies and TV shows, what we're watching. We have a topic of show. Um, a week or two ago, we actually had a director on the show as well, too, named Kevin Lima. He directed uh, Tarzan, a goofy movie, Enchanted. Uh, so we're really trying to get some special guests on the show as well, too. So if you like that, if you want to hear more, give us a listen. We're also joined by our good friend, Anthony, who's also part of the show. He's he's the he completes our triangle, just like how the slice has their triangle. We have ours. We actually prefer to call it a, a, a slice because it's more on brand. Uh, yes, 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 yes. I don't yes, yes. I don't understand the connection, but I. That's okay. We'll talk about it. We can talk about it later. That's perfect. Perfect time. We'll talk about it during our playthrough. Has Anthony played The Last of Us? Yes, he has. How does Anthony feel about The Last of Us? He loves The Last of Us. He's a big fan of the game as well. Um, I don't know why I'm speaking on behalf of him like this, but uh, how dare you? I know he's he he actually I think beat it before Daniel because I think he played Probably. it on PS3. He didn't play it on PS4, from what I understand. Um, but I I was actually going through his trophy list the other day, and I saw that he has a lot of trophies from that game too. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's excited. He's not a man of many words, except when he's on a podcast. So, yeah, I think I remember talking to him about it as well when it came out a little bit. I was surprised that as many people were playing it 
as there were. Anyways, um, that's going to wrap up week one. So thank you for joining us on the on Survive and Endure. Um, also, just to give a little bit of background on the title, we know that there's an Endure and Survive podcast out there, but we wanted to flip things just um, you know, to keep it relevant to, to the title um, of, of the final trophy that you get in The Last of Us. But uh, you know, it, it's a game about survival. It's a game about endurance. Um, so we thought that it was really important that, that that got reflected in the title of the podcast. So thank you for joining us again. Um, we'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Um, you can check us out on our other podcast, which is The Slice Podcast, uh, which will be out on Monday. Um, we'll be talking about uh, The Last Dance and some other stuff that's going on uh, in in media and in music and in TV and in movies um, as we're continuing to experience isolation uh, separate but, uh, but uh, together in some ways. Um, but yes, next Thursday, expect the next episode. We will be covering the first couple of chapters of the game um, and we'll be covering some of our, our, our favorite moments from those first couple of chapters and every week. Uh, after that, we'll be covering a little bit more about the game, and that will be leading us up to June 19th, where we will see The Last of Us Part 2, and uh, hopefully we get to stream it right away as it comes out. The plan is to play it um, the moment that it's out, um, so maybe we'll have a, a little bit of a follow-up that will share our first thoughts on that, but we haven't quite decided on that yet, so we'll keep it as is for now, and then we'll decide later what we want to share. Sounds good. Cool. Thanks for joining me, guys. Um, looking forward to hearing your thoughts next week and to everybody else out there listening, uh, have a great week. Uh, that's it. That's all we got for you. Wicked. Thanks guys. Take care.